0: Sermon on the Mount since last August. Uh, who are the OGs that were with us last August when we started this series? Yeah, we, there's a lot of you who are like, I wasn't even a part of this church at that time. Uh, you're, and uh, we've been going for almost, uh, almost a year in this. It's over 40 different sermons as we've walked through Matthew chapter 5. Through 7 It's been really a pleasure for me, just as a teacher, to be able to, like, it's good source material. The Sermon on the Mount, when you can take the greatest sermon ever preached and write a sermon about it, it's pretty amazing. And so I've really enjoyed kind of diving into it. We're gonna wrap up today, and we're in Matthew chapter seven there at the end of the chapter, beginning at verse 24. And, and, but Jesus wraps up in a way that we wouldn't expect. Uh, he doesn't kind of tie a bow on the sermon. He doesn't give us some kind of amazing parable or story at the end. He kind of gives us a series of warnings. And so over the last few weeks, we've, we've talked about the narrow way, like there is, an, there is a wide path, there is a path that everybody else is walking on, but, but we're actually called to walk a narrow way that's difficult. We talked about false prophets and beware of teachers who are gonna tell you, are gonna give you what itching ears need to hear and, and are gonna give you kind of information that's gonna pull you away from the way of Jesus. And then last week, we talked about, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he ends with kind of these challenging passages instead of kind of an emotional story or some kind of nice thing. I'm going to read just the end of this sermon. And I'm supposed to go short today, but Maddie and Eric got me a little fired up. I, I might we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and who does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was not teaching them for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Uh, I've always read this passage, but I don't know that I've ever read it in the full context because we've been soaking in the word for so long. When he's saying build your life around this, he's saying build your life around the message of the Sermon on the Mount. Like, these are the words he's talking about. These are the words that we build on. These are the words that we practice. These are the words that we lean into. And it means that we don't just, we're not just hearers of it. We actually do something about it. We build our lives around it. And some of us will listen to everything that's been said in the Sermon on the Mount and we'll continue to build on a sandy foundation where everything's gonna collapse and some are gonna fall. And then there's some of us who will say, you know what, I actually want to walk in the way of Jesus. I don't want to just talk about it. I don't want to just know it. I don't want to just understand it. I don't want to just comprehend it. I don't want to just be a Sunday follower of Jesus. I want to learn to walk every day, seven days a week, 24-7, in the way of Jesus. And when we do that, there is a foundation that is built that will stand the test of time and trials and hardships and difficulties. And it is a foundation that we can build everything else on. I, I want to do some kind of cultural anthropology to start this morning, and I'm giving a head nod to John Mark Comer. I don't know if you've read any of his books, um, but he helped me with this, not personally, uh, but just because I read a bunch of his stuff. He's a brilliant uh, teacher and pastor and writer, and, 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 and we've, I, I just want to talk about kind of where we are and why this is difficult. Because I do believe, I'm growing in attention that the older I get and the more I grow as a pastor and as a leader, the more I recognize how difficult it is for us to take a 30-minute sermon and apply it to any area of our life. I'll, I'll just be honest with you, like there's some times where it feels pretty discouraging, It feels like I'm bringing this gift, here's the gift, it's the best thing I got and I'm trying to bring all the energy I have around it, I've studied it, I've worked on it, here's the gift. And everybody's like, that was a great gift. But nobody does anything about the gift. Does that make sense? I think it's really easy for us to show up to church on Sunday and to hear a word and to walk away saying, that was a good word, and nothing changes. I think it's really easy for us to receive something on Sunday, to to take something in, to agree, and not put it into action. And I think one of the greatest challenges of the American church in the coming next 20 years is going to be, are we actually going to be people who act on our faith, or are we just going to be people who believe in our faith? Because I don't get a lot of disagreements about what I'm teaching. Some of you, but most of y'all, we're good. we just get a lot of blank, like, I don't know how to apply this. I don't know what to do with this. And and there's a reason for that. So I want to dive in a little bit to, like, why, what's happening culturally that makes this difficult for us? Because we all swim in the same culture, right? We're all in the same water here. We're all affected by the same things. And we don't understand how certain things affect us and work with us and kind of drive our actions and behaviors and beliefs until we dive in a little bit. So, we live in what is called the information age. Are you guys with me? Uh, the, there is more information available to us than any time in the history of the world. We can get anything we want. Uh, I drive Sarah crazy because anytime we're having an argument, I just look it up on the internet. And so we'll be arguing about something. And I'm just like okay, and I'm I, 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 I'm like a lawyer who's got to prove his case by Google, right? Uh, like it's not even good sourcing. Like I could be I could just find a random guy that wrote a blog, and I'm like, see, right? Uh, but but this is what we do. We can we can find any kind of information that we want. I, I mean, I remember when I was a kid. Like you remember driving when you were a kid? Some of you who are my age at least, right? Driving when you were a kid, and when you get lost, what did you have to do? You had to stop and talk to a human. Or if you were like not into that, you had to buy one of those big giant maps that's like the most impossible thing to put back together, right? Like it's, it, it was like an origami project to put the whole thing back together. It was this folded 80,000 different ways. So you, your two options are you've got this world map that you unfold or you actually stop and talk to somebody, everything is just available to us now. Everything's just right at our fingertips. And so there is more knowledge available to all of us than we could possibly ever consume. That's my first point. There's a guy named Buckminster Fuller, which is a cool name and he wrote a book called The Critical Path of Knowledge. And the tool that he used in it was this idea, uh, he called it the doubling curve of knowledge. And, And here's his premise. In the year that Jesus was born, in order for the collective knowledge of all of society and all of the world to double, it took 1,500 years. This huge period of time that it took for all of us to collectively double our knowledge. Uh, After that, there was like a 250-year period of time where where our collective knowledge doubled. Around World War II, it took us about 100 years. There's about a 100-year gap there. Um, In the 90s, we were at about 25 years. And then came the internet. And do you know now that the collective knowledge of society and culture is doubled every 12 hours. Let that sink in for a second. Every 12 hours, there is enough of us, right? There's enough humans contributing to the collective knowledge of society and culture, and there are enough data points on the internet, on the web, in learnings, in classrooms, in podcasts, in, I don't know, there's so many data points where we're collecting knowledge that every 12 hours the collective knowledge of culture doubles. Are you following me? Some of you are looking confused. This is is staggering. Like we've gotta pay attention to this stuff. So, so the first thing we've gotta understand is there is all of this information out there that we cannot possibly consume. Are you with me? All right, the second data point is that we don't just live in the information age, we live in what was termed by W.H. Alden as the age of anxiety. We don't just live in an age of knowledge where there's tons of information available everywhere. We also live in a place, Auden in 1948 coming out of the war wrote a a set of poetry and he coined the phrase the age of anxiety and and this is the, the age that we still live in. It's an age where there is so much data and so much information that we receive more bad news in any given day than our bodies or our minds were created to receive. Like this is significant, guys. Think about way back in the day and how news used to travel. And think about how it travels now. Last Sunday, when we arrived at church, we knew there had been a shooting in Buffalo. It would have taken years for that information to travel to us many years ago. Somebody had to drive on a horse and get that information to us and say, did you hear what happened in Buffalo? It's right there, it's right there, it's right there. Combine that with the fact that we have what is called entertainment news, whose greatest task is to create fear, because fear drives viewership, are you with me? This is actually, there is a playbook that is written about entertainment news, CNN and Fox, so nobody come at me, right? Both of them, right? (laughs) entertainment news, and the playbook says if you can make people afraid, they will watch. So there is enormous amounts of information. That information is full of bad news that we are receiving at a rate that we cannot absorb, think through, maintain, or, here's where it gets really hard, do anything about. The third thing is this. It's the information to action ratio. Neil Postman wrote the book Amusing Ourselves to Death. And in his book Amusing Ourselves to Death, it's a cultural commentary. And what he began to talk about is that there is more information available to us than what is actionable. Are you with me? So we receive all of this bad news on any given day, all of these crises, all of these struggles, all of these things that are going on in culture, locally, regionally, globally, all around us, all of these terrible things that are going on, and we cannot take action on all of those things. And so what what Postman started talking about is what is our information to action ratio? Like how much information can we actually act on Like think about any given news cycle. Like Sarah loves to watch the news in the evenings and I I can't stand it. It's just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. And I'm like, I just got home from work. I dealt with bad things all day. I don't don't wanna hear all the bad things that are happening to everybody else because it's overwhelming to me. You ever feel that way? It's just this overwhelming sense of bad and brokenness and evil and terrible things. I I would suggest that's always been happening, it's just not as accessible to us as it is now. There's always been evil in the world. There's always been brokenness. From the moment sin entered into the world, we were broken, society was broken, everything was broken by sin, everything is scarred. There is murder, there is hatred, there is brokenness, there is pain, all of those things are everywhere. And maybe it's increasing. I don't know, I don't think we have the data to even back that stuff up. But we can say this, We're hearing about it more. There is real-time information, because think about it. The only news we used to get would be local news, right? We would get local news. It it would come to us and say, uh, Darrell's barn burnt down. That would be the big news for us, right? And and that's that's what we understand, like something happened, and we've got to do something about it, and it's easy for us to respond to that, right? If that's the only news we got, Darrell's barn is broken, all of us, we're like, all right, what do we do? We fix the barn, right? We get together, somebody out there's got some wood, somebody's got some hammers, somebody knows how to Push a barn up, I don't know anything. All right, so Somebody knows these things. We get together, we get the expertise, we get the wood, we get the materials, we get all the things. We go to Durrell's house, we fix the barn. But we're in a place now where there is so much information coming at us that the information to action ratio is so small and we feel so overwhelmed that we don't even know how to respond to the local because we're overwhelmed by the global and the regional and the national. Are you with me? This is a very real thing for us. Here's my fear. My fear is that we treat this exactly the same way. And so, showing up to church on Sundays is just another data gathering, information gathering, political pundancy, cultural commentary... That we receive and say, I don't know what to do about that. So we've got more information than we know what to do with. We're anxious about the amount of information that we receive. And we don't know how to act on it. And to combine all of that, we've moved from a global culture, from a local culture to a global culture. So we don't know how to even be localized anymore. Like how many of you, if you were being really honest, would say, I know the names of all of the 10 people that live in in the closest proximity to me. I know 10 names. Good job. Good work. How many of you would say, I know all of their, I, I know at least one of the problems of each of those people in those 10 spaces. Very good, a couple of you. Most of us, don't even know the names, let alone the stories and the problems and the, and the struggles and the ways in which we can engage in those local things. So if Darrell's barn burns down, in a localized culture, in the past, we get together. Somebody's like, you know what, I can't build a barn, but I can make some good food, and so I'm gonna cook for everybody while they're building the barn. I would be like, I'm, I'm not good, my knees are falling apart, but I got two teenage boys who can work all day long <laughs> and I would love to get them off the Xbox, so I'm sending them over to Darrell's house, and you've got access to them for 30 days straight, because God knows I want to turn them into men. Uh, Somebody would say like, all right, what was lost in the fire? Let's start gathering all these clothes. Let's, let's Let's make sure that everybody's dressed, that everything that was lost in the fire is recovered. Let's make sure that all of these things are happening. But think about the news cycle this week alone. We heard about the Buffalo shootings. We continue to hear every day about the tensions in Russia and Ukraine. Elon Musk is either buying Twitter or he's not. (laughs) Elon Musk, here's the fun thing about Elon Musk, is he fluctuates between superhero and supervillain and you never know who he's gonna be which week, right? Are you with me? Okay, that's that's not in the Bible, I just. mm. (laughs) We got monkeypox this week, that's fun. Anybody excited about that one? we got a standoff around abortion. Pete Davidson left Saturday Night Live. Still dating Kim, though, so don't don't worry. I wonder if we've got all these things pouring into us that makes us say, I can't fix Darrell's barn. I I, want to make a statement about statements. Can I do that? There is an increasing pressure every single week for us to respond by making a statement about what's happening in culture, in the news, or around us. Are you with me? So anytime I don't make a statement about something, I get an email that says, why didn't you make a statement about this, why don't you care about dot, 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 which is important to me. Uh, I get a lot of those. Whenever we do make a statement, I get an email that says, that's not important to me. Why don't you care about this? This is what's important to me. Does that make sense? And so there's always this tension of what do we respond to? Think about it. The amount of information that's coming at us is more than we can absorb. There's crisis everywhere, all over the place. And as a church, We have to decide what do we respond to, what do we make statements about, what do we not make statements about, what do we uh, step into, what do we step out of, and it feels impossible for pastors. The great resignation is not just happening in the workforce, it's happening in the pulpit as well. And most pastors, one of the reasons they're saying they're resigning from their job is because it's impossible to manage the complexity of a modern church. It's impossible to know, what do I speak out on? What do I stay silent about? What do I share my opinion on? What do I not share my opinion on? What do I do and how do I respond to all of those things? I wanna remind everybody, and I, I recognize the irony of what I just walked through and now I'm saying this. The church is not here to make cultural commentary. We are not NPR. I am not a political pundit to tell you what I think of any candidate. I'm a local pastor who's been entrusted to teach the Bible and equip the saints to walk out the life and the way of Jesus in their everyday life. At times, it is fully appropriate for us to say, this happened in our culture and this is what we believe the Bible teaches and this is what we believe how we should respond. At times, that's fully appropriate. At times, it's not. And we're going to co-discern when those moments are and we're gonna do our very best to respond to the right things at the right time in the right way, but we're going to disappoint you if you expect us to make a statement every single time something happens in the news cycle. If you wanna know what our statement is, look at our lives. If you wanna know what Grace Marietta believes about race, then pay attention to the way I've pastored this church for the last five years. If you want to know that it matters to me, then look at my family. If you want to know that I care about those things, then look at the way we live and act and teach every single week. Because here's the thing, you can make up a statement. Right? You guys have all seen that person that was caught in something terrible who stands up and gives an apology and it is a terrible apology. But they made a statement They went on the record. And so we can make statements about all kinds of different things. We can go on the record with all kinds of different things, but a statement doesn't prove our stance. The way we teach and the way we live proves who we are and what we believe in. And I don't want to say that to be lacking compassion for anybody in this room, because I recognize there are things that come through your news cycle that break your heart and hurt you. I was hurt by what I saw in Buffalo last week. Like that has real effects for my family this week. But there's a bunch of Eastern European folks in this room too, a lot more than you would think, who are hurt and grieved by what's happening in the Ukraine. We've got people who have family members living in the Ukraine right now who are sitting there right now listening to this. There are people on the border who have relationships to immigrants That stuff is real, it's powerful, it's strong. Like all of these things, there's so many different issues, there's so many different hurts, there's so many different pains, and I don't want to get in the habit, if this is okay with you guys, of just kind of walking out and throwing out statements for everything. I want to walk the walk. I want to live it out. I want to see this happen in our hearts and in our culture and in our life. I don't want to be the guy who is just being the, the statement writer week after week. So back to the barn, Durrell's barn. Sorry, Darrell, it's picking on you. Here's what we do in our culture now if a barn burns down. Somebody starts a hashtag. No more wood-burning barns or something. Synthetic barns, hashtag Darrell2022, right? I don't know, we, 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 we start some kind of response that makes us feel like we've done something when we haven't actually done something. We go to social media and we tell our opinions to everybody. Wasn't it fun when we didn't have to know everybody's opinion? We, we go to social media and we're like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm pro not barns burning, right, I, I don't know. Like, I'm anti-barns burning, right? We go and we, 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 we give all our opinions and all our data and all our information. We throw all that stuff out there. We, we go to our news and we're like, what does my favorite politician say about the barn? What's going on with the barn? I need people to confirm the barn. And, and, and we don't ask our pastor to make a statement about what do you what, what's your statement about barns and inflammatory devices and barns. And, you know what we do? We rebuild the barn, guys. We rebuild the barn. Like, I'll just be honest with you. I've got a friend who's a pastor, and and he started reading a bunch of books two or three years ago about race, and all of a sudden, he's gotten all excited about race stuff, and every single day, his Facebook feed is just filled with things about race, and he's just stirring up things and getting in arguments and fighting with people and having conversations, just going on and on. It's obnoxious. And some of the things he says is true, and some of them like, boy, you need to read some more books. Uh, And he sat down with me, and he was like, Ben, like, why, like, what am I supposed to do? What do I, what do I need to do? I was like, find a black friend, (laughs) have a church that doesn't have his church is one hundred percent white. Do something about it. Rebuild the barn. Stop hashtagging. Stop virtue signaling. Stop throwing out all this stuff and rebuild the stinking barn. Do the work in your local context. Like one of the things I'm constantly, part of my job is I train pastors and one of the things I'm constantly telling pastors is you are not called to pastor the internet. You're called to pastor your people in your local context that sit across from you every single day. I don't care what some dude in Ohio thinks about what we're doing here in Marietta. I'm faithfully trying to pastor you. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter seven, says this, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it was founded on that rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine but does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the flood came, and the winds blew, and they beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Here's what Jesus is saying, rebuild the barn, do the work, live in the way of Jesus, don't just talk about it, don't just hashtag about it, don't just go to social media about it, don't just go to your news channels about it, don't just expect a statement about it, don't just talk about it, live in the way of Jesus faithfully day by day over and over and over again. And if I'm going to be really honest, if I could be really honest about my fear, my fear is that I just preached my heart out for 40 weeks about the way of Jesus. And that everybody in here took in some good information and says, that was, that's good, Pastor. I agree with that. And nobody does anything about it. And so we're going to do something that I don't, I don't know, I mean, this may be weird, you may never come back. But... We're just gonna take some time. Douglas is gonna play. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five through seven is gonna play on those screens. Y'all got your Bibles and your phones, you can look it up there. And I want everybody in this room to just go to the Holy Spirit. We are a church that believes that God still speaks. We believe that not only does he speak, but he speaks to our current circumstances. The voice that we need to hear is not the information that's doubling every 12 hours. The voice that we need to learn to quiet ourselves to hear is the voice of the Father, who actually speaks truth and life and hope and gives us exactly what we need for the moment. We believe that that God is here right now and he's ready to speak to you right now in this moment. And I want you to look at the sermon. I want you to look at the words of Jesus. I want you to look at the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. And I want you to say, this is what I'm gonna do about it. In the next seven days, this is my action step. This is how I'm gonna live this out in my life. Maybe it's I'm going to go have a conversation with somebody. Maybe it's I'm going to go and, and, and live in a different way at my workplace. Maybe it's I'm going to go and I'm going to serve in a way that I haven't served before. Maybe it's I'm going to forgive. Maybe it's I'm going to speak the truth to somebody. I don't know what it is, but I believe the spirit of the living God is moving and working in this place. And, and his word is active and sharp and has the ability to change our hearts and lead us to new places. And so we're just going to open up space, 10 minutes now and it'll feel like a long time, 10 minutes. And I want you just to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What barn do you want me to rebuild? And when you've got it, I want you to go to one of these butcher papers on the wall. We've got about eight of them spread out around the room. There's markers on the wall. I just want you to write the verse. This is the verse, and this is the action that I'm putting behind this verse. Does that make sense? And our hope is that at least this week, we're not gonna be overwhelmed by information. We're not gonna be anxious about how do I live this out. There's not gonna be an action to information ratio that we can't respond to. We're gonna say to Jesus, who teaches us to walk in his way, what does it look like for me to take one step this week, Jesus? One step into your way, one step closer to your kingdom, one step towards the life that you've called me to. What does it look like for me to go one way, and we're gonna write that on the wall. Everybody with me? You guys weirded out by that? 10 minutes of silence. Get in the word, pull out your Bibles, read it on the screens if you want to, and I'm seriously I wanna invite every single person in this room to go write it. Maybe you don't even know completely. Maybe it's like, I'm not sure, but, but Jesus is me to do something about this, and I wanna act. I think if we stop being incapacitated by the things we can't do and started being empowered by the things that we can, everything would change. So Heavenly Father, I just pray that your spirit would move and work and stir. I pray that you would have your way with us today. I pray that you would lead us to be rebuilders. You would lead us to, to act and to move and to walk in your way and not just to know about it or understand it or comprehend it. And I pray that you would help us walk in your goodness and your grace and in your mercy. So we ask you to speak now, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray.